Good evening. The readings from Hosea. Um, I'm going to read all of Hosea 1, part of Hosea 2, and all of Hosea 3. So buckle up and get ready. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Berai, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Goma, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Goma conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her lo Rehamah, for I will no longer show love to the house of Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to the house of Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but by the Lord their God. After she had weaned Lo-Ramahar, Goma had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Amini, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In that place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called the sons of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will be reunited and they will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved one. And we're skipping down to verse 14 of chapter 2. Therefore, I'm going to allure her. I'm going to lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth and as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow, sword and battle, I will abolish them from the land so that you may all lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. In that day, I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies, and they will respond to the earth. And the earth will respond to the grain, the new wine and oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called, not my loved one. I will say to these called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. 
love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me for many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with another man, and I will live with you. For the Israelites will live for many days without king or priest, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. And afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, Adrian. Nice cheery passage for you to preach on. Chew on. Absolutely. Father, thank you for Adrian. Thank you for uh, the word that you have put in his heart for us this evening. Lord, may it do the wonderful work of your spirit in us. Amen. 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 Am I on? Yep. No? I am now. There we go. There we go. Well, how are you all all right? You all survived the wind and the rain? I tell you what, it's um, this morning when we left to come to church, there we were driving along and this tree had been uprooted and landed in front of this house on top of this car. And it was just like, oh my gosh. And then as we were coming this evening, we were just got into the car and there was police all up the road and a tree had fallen on some cars up the road. And I was just praying during the worship, and I was just saying, God, what, what's all that about? Because it's like two, I mean, obviously it's been windy today, but it's been, there's two in very close succession to us. And I just felt God just saying, he's uprooting some of the things in this world that are just holding the, the world down. And he's uprooting, you know, things that have been solid for 40, 50 years are being uprooted. And we need to recognize as a church, we are being called to be that light that's saying this is the way that we need to go. We need to walk in it. We need to be recognizing that we are called to greater things. Last week, Henry, as you just heard, was talking on the vision that he had for this church, a renewal, a year of renewal for this church. And I would back up Claire's thing. If you haven't heard that talk, go and listen to it because it's really important for us to hear. And as I was just praying about what we were going to do today, it suddenly just hit me, almost like a light bulb moment, was that this fits very nicely to follow on from where Henry dropped off, left off. You see, we're doing a new sermon series this week, on, from starting this week, on Hosea. And Hosea, if you actually look at that book as a whole, it's one of those books that was written 2,700 odd years ago, but could so easily have been written for today so easily have been written for today. You see, the nation had turned away from God. It was worshipping other things and just doing its own thing. It was all very happy in what it was doing. Happy in inverted commas. Isn't that like our world today? Isn't that exactly how we are today in the world? And if we're not careful, the church, and if you look at this book, Israel is virtually the symbolic example of the church, If you look at the church, we find ourselves getting caught up with the same sort of stuff. Because the people out on our local neighbors, if you like, using the same analogy as the Israelites, 
you know, they're up to all sorts of stuff. And we find ourselves getting caught up into things. So this book that we're starting to look at today is basically very much a book that we could actually have some prophetic guy walk in here and say, this is what I feel God's saying, because it fits so well. So we're looking at that, and we're looking at the fact that God's Father's love is overwhelming in the way he deals with us in this, in this book. And it's really exciting to see some of the things that he promises, and we'll look at some of those this week and then some in the following weeks to come. But to clear up a few questions that are in there, first of all, um, there is some debate, modern debate amongst the scholars about whether Gomer was really a prostitute, whether she really was a prostitute, whether she was a prostitute at the beginning, whether she was a prostitute at the end, you know, because actually a lot of people say that the, the way the story is written, it's not a, a narrative, it's just like a prophetic message. But if you look at it properly and you look at it in more detail, I actually think probably she was a prostitute of some form or other. Because she, she was basically, I mean, there's one instance where it says, uh, the first child actually, Jezreel, and she, it says, and she gave him a son. But the other two surreptitiously don't even mention whether it's his son or his daughter or not. So there's some question mark there. And then you look at later on and it's talking about all her activities and what she's been up to. So I think she probably was a prostitute, but there is some debate, and I needed to be open and straight with you about that. There's also a really strange part when they're naming Jezreel, and it's, there's this whole thing about it's because of the judgment of Jehu on the fact that he massacred at Jezreel. And I think we need to bear that in mind. Is what we need to bear in mind is actually when he was told to go and sought out Ahab and, um, and Jezebel. He was told by Elisha that God had said, go and sort out this situation. So it seems strange that the, the, there's a judgment for this massacre. But what I actually believe is that the point that was being driven here is that uh, the massacre that took place, or the killings that took place, which I do believe God wanted to cleanse the land of that evil Omri empire, there is a, there's the point is, is that um, Jehu didn't then turn around and start doing the things that God had called us to do. The, the actual kings that followed Jehu as well. Jehu started well and had some problems, but more, moreover, the following kings that followed did not repent and turn around. So there's, a, there's an element, as this is my own personal interpretation, take it if you like, I'm not saying I'm any way a scholar, but it's like, my personal interpretation is, is that there was a, a judgment on him because he had judged and now he was now doing exactly the same stuff. He was carrying on the same old way and was not in a place of repentance. Then we look at the fact in chapter 3 and there's some debate again amongst scholars whether he actually, this was a new wife that Hosea had and not Gomer. Now, I don't think we need to get hang up on all of these things. I think the thing we need to take from one to three Hosea is this. Is that the, the Israelites had ceased to seek God properly. That's the thing we need to take home with us. That the Israelites had decided to dabble with all sorts of different spirituality. I hear about that quite a lot in the church today. 
I hear that they, you know, you can go to, some people will go to a mosque one week and then come to church the next week. I mean, how can you do that? It doesn't make sense to me. And there are loads of people that are just dabbling with new age, if they're not, if, you know, not sensible, they just get into different things, and still call themselves Christians. How does that, how? How can you do that? How can you do that? And that's the type of people that Hosea is talking to. He's saying, do not carry on that way because it's going to hurt you. It's going to damage you if you keep going this way. And then we go into that more later. So the, the Israelites are starting to settle into the ways of the Canaanites. It's just saying, okay, this is how we do things. This is how we roll. We, you know, we'll worship Baal and we'll worship Ashtoreth and all the other stuff going on. We just, we just dabble around because we're good. We're free. We're good. And that's exactly what this is all about. It's about the, us effectively, the Israelites effectively being committing adultery to God. And that's the point that we need to take away. But we also need to take away that God is promising he's going to come in grace and turn that situation around. He's saying it's, that if there was a, a title we could give this whole series, well, particularly my talk today, it's this. He loves you too much to leave you the way you are. He loves us too much to leave us the way we are. Where we're dabbling in different things. And, and whether we're, you know, none of us are perfect. We've all fallen short. But if we are staying the way we are, that's when God has to say, do you know what? I need to, I need to do something here because I love you too much to leave you the way you are. One of my favorite, favorite examples of grace is Les Mis. And I love the whole thing with the bishop and the way um, Jean Valjean goes and steals from the bishop and then the bishop just shows his grace. And that is exactly how God is with us. And I, one of the things I love about it is, is that what we, you know, those who have seen the film will know that they, he goes on to be in real turmoil because that grace, that love that is expressed to him just tears him apart as he stands because he, he's fighting against it. And he's just like, he can't do anything but just turn to God in the end because he's just literally, there's this inner turmoil. And with, that's exactly what we see with the Israelites. They are getting to this place where there's this inner turmoil and there's like God is fighting with them and working with them to say, return back to me. Return back to me. Come back to the, your first love, as Henry was saying last week. So there is a time of renewal coming. There's a time of renewal coming. But first of all, that calls for us to be repenting. Because not... You know, there's no way that we can say we've been 100% seeking God if we're really honest with ourselves. And this is the thing that God is saying. We need to be called back to repentance. We need to basically say, I will pursue my first love. I loved him with all my heart, and I've sort of lost my way a bit. It's time to return back to him. And as we will come on to see next week, Hosea 6 says, come, let us return back to the Lord. And that's exactly where this book is going. So we actually see that there's this passionate call for repentance. And Romans 2.4 says, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. You see, if God loves us too much to leave us the way he is. We are. He loves us too much to leave us the way we are. And he's calling us back to a, the repentance. 
But just to give you a bit of historic background to this, so we understand where this is, you know, how this all came about. The book of Hosea was written um, around 753 BC. And it's around the same time as the, the end of the Jehu dynasty and Jeroboam II is about to be removed from his position. And if you look at it from that point of view, there is this time of prosperity. Life seems to be going really, really well for the Israelites. And that's why they've got into this, all this stuff, because it's like nothing seems to be going wrong anymore. It's absolutely perfect. Life is so perfect. They can just do what they have in their time of their lives. They can do whatever they want. They're having parties. It's just, woohoo, times, good times. And yet, there's this point where God is saying, I'm coming to change this now because things you're just going the wrong way. You're going down the wrong road. You're doing the wrong things, and it's going to hurt you. You see, there's this, uh, Israel has turned its back on God and started worshipping other gods. We look at uh, Baal is the main one they, they has quoted. Um, there's one of the rituals for the Baal was lots of um, immoral, immorality. immorality. There's loads of sex involved in the worship of Baal. And that sounds great when you're in a good place, right? But actually, that is exactly why that God uses this whole analogy of adultery because adultery is a killer for a relationship, whether it be the relationship with God or with your spouse. And that's where he's saying that, yeah, you're really damaging things, but the tide is coming. There's a spiritual tide that's changing And you may not see it yet, but the physical tide is changing if you don't watch it. It's coming its way. And there's this constant call throughout the whole book of Hosea for repentance. So it actually comes in quite interestingly in spatterings. So it's in chapter 2, as we just heard from Andrew reading. And then it's in chapter 6, so right smack in the middle of the book. And then chapter 14, there's the another time. And in between, there's this saying... If you keep going the way you're going, you're going to be in trouble. So it's constantly this dichotomy where you've got the prophetic parallel of Hosea living with his adulterous wife and the pain that he's going through. You see, I think the pain of an adulterous relationship is something most of us can associate with one way or another. I mean, most of us have been in a relationship where at least you've been very hurt by somebody when you've broken up with somebody at some point along the way. And you know what that feeling of rejection is like, which is why God uses Hosea to say, look at this, look at this pain that is caused through this relationship. So and then Hosea's, and the chapter two of Hosea is more along the lines of, now you've seen Hosea's pain, and this is my pain that I'm feeling. This is what I'm going through. And yet, at the end of chapter 2, he's turning around and saying, and yet, and we'll come back to that in a few minutes. And then in chapter 3, there's this recommittal to his wife. And he says, at the end of it, there's this point where God's saying, I'm going to draw you back to me in the same way. And you're going to turn back to me, and you will be my, my children, and I will be your God all over again. So there's this kind of wrestling of choices of whether you're going to go for the absolutely 100% for God or you're going to just go and do your own thing. And the choice is constantly in the, in the swing throughout the whole of Hosea. And what we see is, is that 
there's lots of warnings about if you carry on going this way in, in the wrong way, this will happen. If you go this way, good things will start happening. And the choice is yours. And one of the other th- um, parallels that comes up is the use of the names for um, Hosea's children. You see, Jezreel in Hebrew means God sows. So they're in a place where God is sowing into their lives and God is blessing them. And that's exactly where they're living at the moment. They're living this time of blessing. And God is sowing into their life. But then they get to a point where there's like this low rama where they're not loved. God doesn't. And it's like we've rejected God. So we kind of have removed ourselves from God and that we've removed our love from him. You see, God promises us never to leave us nor forsake us, nor does he ever say he'll remove his love for us. So the fact that it says that you're uh, a people that are not loved, it's kind of because we've done the removal, not the other way around. We've done the removal from God. And then we're finding ourselves that actually we cease to be God's people if we carry on the way we're going. So there's this whole balance of us going from a place of God sows into well, now we're not so loved because we've moved ourselves away and then not God's people anymore. And God's saying that we have driven a wedge of idolatry. A wedge of idolatry. And actually, there's this call on us to actually repent and turn around from that. But God, And actually... There is this promise that God will never leave us for, nor forsake us in Deuteronomy, for example. And there's several other verses like that. It's interesting that, you know, actually, there's, in, um, if you look at um, in Matthew, it talks about adultery as the, one of the main reasons why you can get divorced. And I think that's because God knows that is an incredible obstacle to get over incredible, painful obstacle. And it's basically where God's saying, I know that this is the point where you can almost say, it's really, you know, God, by God's grace, sometimes marriages do restore, and thank God they do. But often there's this place where God's just saying, if you can't get over that, I understand, because I know that pain. I know that pain of a, an adulterous relationship. And yet God says that he doesn't hold himself to that same level of um, choice. It's not like God turns around to us, thankfully, and says, right, that's it. I am done. I am removing myself from this position, and you are no longer ever going to be my people again. I'm done. Because what God does in in chapter 2 is more along these lines. He allures us. He gives us back vineyards. He gives us back provisions of beauty and, and, and great things. He gives us a door of hope. And we are no longer calling him master. And God says he will betroth us to him forever and betroth us in faithfulness. And so it goes on. There's this whole thing of God saying, despite the fact I'm telling you that it's really hard to get over adultery, I will do that with you. I will do that with you. I will pursue you. I will lure you. Allure you. I will woo you, if you like back into relationship with me because I want relationship with you. So we, as we come into conclusion, the act of idolatry is, is like adultery to God. I, I was trying to tell Andrew that earlier and I just couldn't get the two words out. It was like idolatry, idolatry. 
Because they are very, very similar in so many ways. Not only do they almost have a similar sound to them, but they have that painful, divorcing sort of thing that makes us divide from God. When we commit adultery, it's not that God forsakes us. It's that we are forsaking God and we remove ourselves away from him. And that is painful for us. And we see in in Hosea that there is a spiritual tide that comes before the physical tide. And if we stay in a place of where we're not doing the right thing, then the spiritual tide and the physical tide will both manifest themselves. And we will see the, the ramifications of consequences of our sins, what we've done wrong. And our rebellion has sometimes, um, it has a deep ramification. Well, it always has a deep ramification. It has huge consequences. But the heart of the Father is to woo us back to him. And that's the main thing that Hosea is trying to push across, is that the love of God is wooing us back to him constantly. And not only us, but he's trying to woo, as Peter was saying, all the people out in the world. And once we're in that right place with God, we can start to see God moving in amazing ways in the streets. So I'd love for a few minutes is just to just spend a few minutes just just committing ourselves to God about this and just saying if we need to repent about anything not making a big thing out of it let's just be quietly just pursue God and just say God it may be some of us actually have not pursued God 100% and it's almost like we've forgotten our first love and God is saying today come back turn around today so let's just be still and just ask God to come Father, your word says that we have all fallen short of your glory. So if we say we're without sin, we're we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. And Father, we just want to repent of those things. Father, we thank you that it's your love that draws us to repentance. Would you give us a sense of your love again in a deeper way?